Lord God Almighty, we turn to you this morning and pray, Father God, that you would draw near to us as we gather around your word. Lord, as we open it up and as we read it, we pray, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding to be able to see glorious things within your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would uh, anoint my lips and anoint our ears as we hear. Uh, Father God, what, what we hear this morning would encourage us and feed us and help us in our walk and our service to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay then, can we open up our Bibles please to Joshua chapter 16. Joshua chapter 16, we're carrying on our studies through the book of Joshua and um, we're getting to the place where we are dividing up land or rather Joshua is dividing up the land with the help of Eliezer casting lots at the uh, doorway of the tabernacle. Now the book of Joshua is a book of new beginnings um, he's got a new leader, he's got a new generation, so they're into a new country and there is a new direction. But it's also a book of old promises fulfilled. Long held promises are being fulfilled before their eyes. You know, the Lord God had spoken to Abraham back in Genesis 12 verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And now, over 600 years later, that promise is coming to pass. Joshua has led the children of Israel into the promised land. And through a series of three military campaigns, the land is taken. Now, there are small pockets of resistance, little Canaanites that still need to be driven out or killed. But after seven years of conflict, the land is being divided. And the tribes of Israel are receiving the inheritance promised to them in Abraham over 600 years beforehand. So this is a time of great excitement for Israel. They are literally seeing the word of God being fulfilled before their eyes as they each receive their allotment. And this should be a time of great inspiration for the Israelites, a time when faith rises and a time of wholehearted devotion. Surely, when you see the word of God being fulfilled before your eyes, it should excite your faith. Instead, what we're going to see as we carry on over the next couple of chapters is that uh, Israel starts to compromise. Their faith begins to diminish. Their devotion is being replaced by selfishness. And men are operating in their own strength instead of relying upon God. Things are going in the opposite direction to the act which you think they should go. And by the time we reach the book of Judges, which is uh, uh, carries directly on after the book of uh, Joshua, um, apathy, there's an apathy within Israel and that apathy turns into apostasy. And that apostasy is starting right here in the chapters that we're going to be reading through apathy and through a lack of pressing forward fully into what God had intended for them. But it's interesting to me that after this apost time of apostasy that we see in the book of Judges, we get to the book of Samuel, in which we see the arrival of a king and to the land and the fortunes of Israel shift and change a little. And I was thinking about this and biblically and prophetically today is a time of great excitement now, I think it might be a little presumptuous to say we are seeing the word of, God being word of God being fulfilled before our eyes. But there are many signs 
indicating the long-held promise of Jesus Christ's return is not far away. And like Israel, this should be a time of inspiration, a time when faith rises, a time of wholehearted devotion for the church. But But like Israel, what are we seeing in the church today? We're seeing compromise with the world. We're seeing faith diminishing as church attendance is in decline. Devotion is being replaced with selfishness and men are operating in their own strength using man-made programs instead of relying upon God. The same condition that was starting to infect Israel is the same condition that is infecting the church. And like Israel, their apathy led into apostasy. And, and then it was followed by the arrival of a king. And we know that the Bible foretells of a great apostasy at the end of the church age. And then at the end of that time of apostasy, it will be followed by the return of the king, namely Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of parallels and relevant messages in what we look at this morning for us as a church and as individual Christians. So let's turn to chapter 16. Uh, Previously, we saw the allotment of uh, the land given to the tribe of Judah. And we saw that Caleb was quick to jump in and say, hey, hey, before um, they get their land, I want what's coming to me. And he got his territory in the mountains there at Hebron. Now we come to um, the tribe of Joseph. Joseph was split into the two half tribes the half-tribe of Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And in verses 1 to 4, we read about the regional boundaries. Joshua 16, verses 1 to 4. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho, to the waters of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites at Ataroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Jephelites, as far as the boundary of Lower Beth Horon to Giza, and ended at the sea. And so the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. So the land east of the Jordan had been taken by the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Uh, but the remaining tribes would now receive their allotment west of the Jordan. And we saw that the rest, the rights of the firstborn had been taken from Reuben and passed to Judah, Joseph and Levi. Judah, having preeminence, uh, was given the first allotment. Uh, but Joseph, having the double portion, was given the second all- allotment. And that was divided in two between Manasseh and Ephraim. Levi, having the priesthood, would not receive an allotment, although cities would be granted. And we see that in chapter 20. And we'll get to that hopefully next time. But here the regional boundaries are defined and we see here the lot fell to the children of Joseph. The lot put the decision in the hand of God. So no man could complain against another man and it would guard against civil dispute and potential civil war uh, and potential civil war would be avoided because God uh, cast the lot as to who would get which portion of land. And uh, effectively the dice was loaded. The Lord had a plan for which tribe received which portion of land. And in a similar way, the Lord has a plan for our lives. And you might be dissatisfied with your lot in life. You know, I don't like what I have, what I've been given, my gifts, my ability. Um, But God doesn't want to hear it. 
you remember the parable of the talents, God asks the question, will you be faithful with what I have given you? And the question to these different tribes is, don't complain about the territory you've been given. Are you going to be faithful with what you have been given? Are you going to take what I have, uh, which, which, what I know in my divine foreknowledge is right for you? And are you going to take it and use it for my glory? Or are you going to bury your talents and live for yourself? And really, that is the underlying challenge for us all. What are we going to do with our life? Choose today whom we're going to serve. We read there, so the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim took their inheritance. Jacob, at the end of his life, adopted Joseph's sons. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 48. And so Jacob's two grandsons effectively became his sons and they came into a physical and spiritual inheritance. And like Joseph's grandsons, we are not natural heirs of God. But we have been adopted into the family of God and we have both a physical and a spiritual inheritance from God as well. Our physical inheritance will be a place in the millennial kingdom and the spiritual inheritance is to be restored to the image of God, to be made into the image of Jesus. That is our inheritance and we should always be striving to become more like Jesus in our lives. Moving on, uh, reading verses five to ten. The border, uh, we're given here the um, territory or the division for Ephraim. The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. The border of their inheritance on the east side was Ataroth Adar, as far as Upper Beth Horon. And the border went out towards the sea on the north side of Michmathath. Then the border went around eastward to Tanath Shiloh and passed by it on the east of Janahoah. Then it went down from Janahoah to Ataroth and Nurah, reached to Jericho and came out at the Jordan. The border went out from Tapua, westward to the brook Canar, and it ended at the sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, according to their families. The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages." And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Giza, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced labourers. That's interesting. Manasseh was Joseph's firstborn. And traditionally, the firstborn should have the preeminence, should, should come first. So you would think that Manasseh would get the first allotment out of Joseph's two sons. But here we see that Ephraim gets the first allotment. Ephraim is treated as the preeminent one. Now, the reason for this, again, dates back to Genesis chapter 48 and 49, at the time when Jacob is blessing his sons. And when Jacob pronounced a blessing on Joseph's two sons, he put his hands the other way around like this. And so he put his right hand, um, he should have put his right hand on his on the firstborn Manasseh, but he put his right hand on Ephraim instead. And we read about that in verse 17 of chapter 48 of Genesis when it says, Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my, my father, for this one, I, um, this, this, this one, I, the firstborn, but put your right hand on his head. 
But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So because of Jacob's blessing, Ephraim gets the preeminence here and gets the first allotment out of the two. Now, at this present moment in time, of the two tribes, Manasseh is more numerous. But over time, Ephraim would grow to become the greater tribe in numbers, but also more dominant and become more prominent. Uh, You may know that uh, later on, under King Rehoboam, the Israel split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was commonly called the Kingdom of Judah, taking its name from the most prominent tribe in the south, Judah. And the northern kingdom is often called the northern kingdom of Israel. But there's quite a few occasions in the uh, Old Testament where that northern kingdom is called the kingdom of Ephraim, because Ephraim became the most dominant tribe in the north. I was reading through the book of Isaiah earlier this year as part of my daily readings. And quite often in Isaiah, God refers or Isaiah refers to Ephraim as their euphemism for the northern kingdom. And it wasn't until I looked into a commentary that I realised that this was the case, something that I only realised very recently. But it's good to point that out so that when you're reading and you come across that term Ephraim, often it means that northern kingdom. But perhaps what uh, is interesting to me most of all is that repeatedly in Scripture, we see the act of of dismissing the firstborn and blessing the secondborn. Abel was favoured over Cain. Isaac was favoured over Ishmael. Jacob was favoured over Esau. And here Ephraim was favoured over Manasseh. This is because God blesses the second birth. God blesses the second birth. If you want the blessing of God in your life, you must be born again. You must have a second birth. That's why God favours the second born and not the first. Now, they're given this territory right there in the middle of uh, the, uh, the land of Canaan. But we read there in verse 10, and they did not drive out the Canaanites. A sad indictment against this uh, glorious tribe. The Canaanites were not driven out, nor were they killed, but they were allowed to remain and they became forced labourers. Now, you might think, well, at least that's something. They became forced labourers. But consider for a moment. If you can subdue a people well enough to make them your forced labourers, you can subdue a people well enough to drive them out or kill them. There was a choice involved here in not driving them out. There was a choice involved in making them forced labourers. And what we see here in Ephraim is compromise. Instead of full obedience, instead of pressing into the full inheritance, they think, well, we can manage our enemies. We can use them for financial gain. We can use them to help us live at ease. We'll make them our forced labourers. And so Ephraim fell foul to this sin of covetousness. Um, uh, Instead of slaying the enemy, uh, the idols of money and pleasure crept in. We can make money from these people. 
we can live a little bit more at our ease because of these people. And we can become an Ephraimite Christian because we need to guard against compromise in our lives. It's easy for us to think that we can manage our sinful habits, the Canaanites in our lives, uh, allowing the love of money or the desire for pleasure or living at ease to take a foothold in our life. And, you know, the enemy may be subdued now. You might think it's under control, choosing to live with that sin instead of dealing with that sin. But guaranteed that enemy will rise up. The enemy will deceive you and that enemy will contaminate you. Don't be like Ephraim. Don't compromise. Don't live with sin or try to benefit from sin. Ephraim, as I said, grew to be the dominant tribe of the north. But the influence of the Canaanite grew as the tribe grew. And until the, north, until the entire northern kingdom of Israel was awash with idolatry. And God's judgment eventually fell upon that northern kingdom. Don't compromise with sin in your life. It will creep in, it will take hold. And suddenly you'll find yourself awash with all manner of problems that you didn't think that you were ever going to have. Let's move on to chapter 17 and we move to the um, half tribe of Manasseh. I'm going to read from verse one. There was also a portion by lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Basham. So this is a repeat of the allotment that was given east of the Jordan. Uh, you might remember that on the east side of the Jordan, um, there were three uh, territories given. In fact, let me show you a map so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about here. Um, uh, can you see that there? Uh, there was the east side, uh, Manasseh, and then there's a west side portion as well. Now, uh, Manasseh, Gad and Reuben, there on the east. But, but that was just given to one family uh, under the leadership of Machir. Machir had distinguished, distinguished himself in war and conflict, so he got given a, a territory. The same way that uh, Caleb and uh, eventually Joshua will be given a territory because of their distinguished themselves in war. Um, doesn't seem quite fair that they've got such a big territory there upon the east, but uh, God knows better than I. I'm going to have to close that down briefly because I can't see my notes. Okay. Moving on uh, and reading verses two onwards. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiza, the children of Helek, the children of Azrael, the children of Shechem, the children of Hepha, and the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. But Zelophehad, the son of Hepha, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. 
Ten portions fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Michmathath, that lies east of Shechem, and the border went along south to the inhabitants of En Tupur. Manasseh had the land of Tupur, but Tupur on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the border descended to the brook Canar, southward to the brook. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook and ended at the sea. Southward it was Ephraim's, northward it was Manasseh's, and the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Beth Sheen, and its towns, Iblim, and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor, and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor, and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh, and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo, and its towns, three hilly regions. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened, when the children of Israel grew strong, that they put Canaanites to forced labour, but did not utterly drive them out. So we went there through um, the allotment given to Manasseh, the, de the definition of the borders and the territory and the cities within. But we had that interesting story in verses three to four about these uh, daughters of Zelophehad. Now, although the allotment is given to the children of Manasseh, land was awarded to the male descendants only, the sons of Israel. The daughters of Israel would not traditionally inherit the land. And in an agricultural economy, land was the means of gaining an income. By working the land, the men would uh, produce uh, crops and drive uh, income from that to support themselves. And thus the wives would get supported from the men's income. That was the system that was in place in Israel. Now, the problem is that Zelophehad had five daughters and no sons and thus ran the risk of losing an inheritance, a place in the land. But the daughters made sure they did not miss out. And they made sure that their father's name was perpetuated through them. Now, this dates back to a plea that was made to Moses in Numbers 27. And I'm going to read Numbers 27 verses 1 to 4 to you to give, the, give you the background. We read. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad. They stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in company with Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he has no son. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Therefore, give us a possession among the brothers of our father. And so here are these daughters coming and making their plea, their request before Moses. And Moses brought the matter before the Lord. And having waited upon the Lord, the Lord spoke and said, the daughters were right. And so back in the days of Moses, land was promised to these, these uh, five daughters. And here, back in Joshua 17, we see that that land is granted in fulfilment of uh, that promise. Now, it's interesting that later on at the end of the section that we read, we see compromise 
in their brothers within the tribe of Manasseh with regard to their dealings of the Canaanites. But these women did not compromise. They stood out head and shoulders above their brothers by not compromising. They stood on the word of God and they got their full inheritance. And to, from as far as I can see, these women were single women. Uh, they're named here in verse 3, Marla. And Marla's not such an unusual name. Uh, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Portsmouth, Barry, has got a daughter and her name is Marla. Um, we've got Noah. Now, you might think that Noah is just a boy's name, but uh, no, it's a, it's a girl's name here. Hogler. And that's a, that's a bit unfortunate, Hogler. Uh, you wouldn't want to be called that on the playground, would you? Um, if uh, Johnny and Hannah are looking for potential names, if they have a daughter, I, I suggest you jump over that one. Um, then you've got Milka and Terza. And these are single women, but they did not compromise. They did not settle for second best. They waited for God's best in their lives. And I just want to say to anybody who's a single woman listening, don't compromise. Wait for God's best. I was talking to Abby about this yesterday. And it's not hard. Sorry, it is hard waiting for the right guy to come into your life, to um, thinking that it's never going to happen. Where are all the godly men? But it's worth waiting for the right godly man instead of compromising for second best. And, you know, there could be guys that come across your path and they show an interest in you. And you think, and it's very flattering because they're showing an interest in you. But you know that they're not God's chosen person for you. Don't settle for second best. Wait for God's best. It is well worth the wait. When a potential suitor crosses your path, go speak to your father. Check with him whether he thinks they are a suitable candidate for you. And if need be, go to your pastor and ask him his opinion as well about their spiritual calibre. I certainly know that I got uh, uh, tested by both Abby's dad and uh, Abby's pastor before um, I could uh, marry um, Abby. And I'm grateful for that. Don't settle for second best. Be like these daughters of Zelophehad who didn't compromise. They pushed and got their full inheritance. But as I said, if we go to the end of the chapter, we read there in verse 12, uh, not at the end of the chapter, so middle of the passage, uh, verse 12. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And so again, we see the same compromise and weakness in Manasseh that we saw in Ephraim. The text says they could not. And I can't help but feel as if this is the uh, Manassites speaking saying, oh, we can't drive them out. And, you know, self-delusion is a a denial of the promise and the power of God. God said, wherever you put your your foot, you can have that land. If they had stepped forward in faith, boldness and courage, God would have given them the victory. But they got to the place where they persuaded themselves they couldn't do it. And it's amazing how easy it is to persuade ourselves that our sin problem Our Canaanite issue is too big, too great for us to deal with it. I can't do it. I'd like to read to you Philippians 4 verse 13. You all know it. It says, I can 
do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to lay hold of that verse and we need to meditate upon that verse and and soak it deep in. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever the issue is that you are struggling with in your life, whatever area is proving problematic, whatever the Canaanite is that you're coming up against, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. God can give you victory. You need to believe that to step forward in faith. And when you step forward in faith, you will see the victory that God can bring. I'm not saying it's easy. It doesn't come without fight. I'm not going to say it comes without torture. But you can win a victory over those issues in your life if you step forward in faith. You know, Manasseh wanted to live at ease like his brother Ephraim. They're done fighting. Let's get some forced labour. Let's leave these cities occupied. But look at the character of the Canaanites. It says, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. When you're wrestling with sinful nature, with your sinful nature, there is a determination within that that sinful nature to dwell within you. It doesn't want to give up the territory. Sin is determined to dwell in your life. And if you allow it to have a place in your life, you'll never become who you are intended to be in Christ. You know, at this stage, Israel had asserted itself over the Canaanites. But in the book of Judges, we will see that the roles will be reversed. Israel will be raided and oppressed by their enemies, uh, the enemies that they left undealt with over and over again. And if you choose to allow areas in your life to remain undealt with, they'll come back to raid you and oppress you. It says in Galatians 5 verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You leave a little bit there, you'll get the better of you. Can I read to you from 2 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4? 2 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us his divine power. And with that divine power, we can attain everything that pertains to life and godliness. It goes on through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here is a positive statement by the Apostle Peter to say that you can be partakers of the divine nature of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ if you appropriate the precious promises in the word of God. That is a precious promise back in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you appropriate that, if you rely upon that, you can become partaker in the divine nature. And it says there, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You can escape the Canaanite. You can escape the giant if you rely upon the word of God and operate in faith and obedience to it. You know, we are not inheriting a new land per se. We are inheriting a new nature, the image of Christ in our lives. And this is achieved by dying to the old nature so that the new nature can come forth. 
That old nature is the Canaanite and it needs to die. And the means are at our disposal. The question is, is the will in our hearts? This was the indictment against Manasseh. They didn't have the will of heart to press into the fullness of God. Moving on and reading from verse 14. Then the children of Israel spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Sheen and its towns, and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have one lot only. But the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites through, sorry, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So now we come to a kind of regional dispute. Um, and uh, here come uh, the two uh, half tribes of Joseph and uh, they aren't happy with their lot. They want more land. They want more territory uh, than they had been given. Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit. Notice here, it's this. They're taking the um, their complaint to Joshua. Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit? It's as, almost as if they're taking it as a personal slight from Joshua. They're forgetting it was the Lord that allotted the land, not Joshua. If they had an issue, why not bring it to the Lord? This shows me that they are operating in the flesh. The fact that they're going to Joshua and not going to God. You know, <clears throat> I think I know why they brought the matter to Joshua uh, and not Eleazar or the Lord. It's because Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. So they thought, well, maybe we can get some special treatment because Joshua, after all, he's, he's one of us, isn't he? And so what we see here is a is a hint of manipulation, an air of entitlement, and I would say a dose of pride as well. Do you remember what they said? Since we are a great people, there's a bit of pride there in what they're saying. It should be noted that Ephraim are, a no are notorious for being a problematic tribe. Here we see they're creating problems for Joshua. In Judges 8, they created problems for Gideon. In uh, Judges 12, they created problems for Jephthah and in 2 Samuel uh, 10, 20 they created problems for David. So Joshua's not having any of it and he speaks to them in a very direct way and uh, <clears throat> and he says if you are a great people then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants. So if you are such a great people do something about it. Use your manpower, use your size, clear the forests on the mountain and get rid of the parasites and the giants. 
It's interesting to me. Giants always seem to dwell on the mountains in the high places. I don't know quite why, but we know that Caleb killed three giants in Hebron and Hebron is located in the mountains. And here we see that there are giants in the, the mountains of Ephraim. And later on, we're going to see that Joshua goes to dwell where there are our giants as well. But uh, Joshua says, be like Caleb. And Caleb went towards the fight. But here, Joseph is backing away. Go and take the land if you are so great, he says. But what happens? They come back with a second complaint. Oh, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. I mean, what a bunch of Nancys. They, they come back and they say the mountain territory is not enough. And what's more, the valleys have Canaanites and they have chariots of iron. What they're doing is they're looking at the problem. And the more that you look at the problem, the bigger it gets. If they had looked to God, if they had looked with faith, the problem would have got into proportion and it would have been manageable. You know, it's a wonder Joshua could stomach their belly aching, to be quite honest with you. There's a quote by um, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was uh, one of the founding fathers of the USA and he's always a good guy to go to for quotes. He said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. And uh, that's pretty much the case here with Ephraim and Manasseh, it would seem. How different is their attitude to that of Caleb? They wanted easy land with no work and no effort, instead of taking God's promises and going out to take what God had given them. And you see this type of Christian in churches. They want the status, they want the position, but they don't want the crucified life. They want the recognition and they want the role, but they don't want the trials and affliction that God appoints to them to train them for such a role. There is no crown without a cross. And we've got to be prepared to go through the battle of crucifying self, of dying to self, if we're to come into the riches and the fullness of all that God has for us. And here we see the Ephraimites basically just not wanting the fight. Joshua must be sick of the lack of fight he sees in his tribesmen. And so he finally says, you are a great people and you have great power and you shall drive out the Canaanites. He tries to instill some faith in them. That's in verse 17. He tries to instill some faith in them to encourage them forward. Take what God has given you and use it and God will make room for you. That is what he is saying. Take what God has given you and use it and God will make room for you. Now this is true for the Christian as well. Don't complain about how much less you have than your neighbour. But take what God has given you and use it. And if you take what God has given you and you use it, God will make room for you. When it comes to operating in the church, don't bemoan that somebody, somebody else has that role, that responsibility or that gifting or that position or whatever it is you might covet. Take what God has given you and use it and God will make room for you. Look at just what happened this morning. Isaac took his gift and used it by making a stop motion animation and God made room for it in this morning's meeting. If you take what God has given you and you use it, God will make room for you.
What has God given you? Okay. I'm going to go on to chapter 18, but there's not much to say on this. It's just more text, so um, brace yourself. Uh, Reading from verse uh, 1 to 10. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites had no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance, and Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities, and they came to Joshua at this camping in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. So at this point, uh, five tribes have received their allotment, but seven tribes remain without allotments. Uh, the allotments to date have been given out from Gilgal. Gilgal had been the uh, base of operations, the headquarters for the Israelites ever since they came into the land. And it is where the seven year military campaign was launched from. And it's where the tabernacle of the Lord had resided. Joshua now moves the tabernacle to Shiloh. Shiloh is sited in the territory of Ephraim and uh, in effect Shiloh becomes the national capital until David captures Jerusalem and moves the tabernacle there some uh, 390 years I think it is later. Now Shiloh is a more central location so it makes it easier for all of Israel to travel there to the tabernacle and to worship the Lord. Of course, there were three pilgrimage feasts and it makes it much easier to observe if the place of the tabernacle is centrally located. So there is a a, I I do believe that God led Joshua to place the tabernacle here in Shiloh to move the capital here. It's just not kind of like a a selfish thing because he's from the tribe of Ephraim Um, and he's encouraging people to come to the Lord. He's encouraging people to look to God. And that is what we should be doing, always encouraging people to look to the Lord, to make it as easy as possible. But it would seem that these seven remaining tribes have less faith and less zeal to claim their inheritance than their fellow uh, tribesmen. You know, Caleb was swift to claim what was his. The daughters of Zelophehad were not slow in coming forward either. But these tribes appear to be happy to loiter first around Gilgal and now Shiloh. Um, they were like those at the Tower of Babel. They were reluctant to disperse. 
Proverbs 12, 27 says, The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Their fellow tribesmen had gone into their territory. They were feeding on the riches of the hunt. But here we see the lazy and they're not benefiting from all of their endeavours yet. And Joshua challenges these seven tribes. How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? He's basically saying, wake up, go out there and get what is yours. I have uh, listened to three separate talks uh, on this passage and all three speakers describe these seven tribes with the word slackers. The, that is who these seven tribes are. They're slackers. They lack the get up and go. They're reactive instead of proactive and they're slow to appropriate what God has given to them. And we need to guard ourselves from being slackers as well. When God calls us, we should answer without hesitation. When we see that there is something that could be ours, we need to go out and claim it. We need to be those who are forward thinking, proactive and moving forward, not waiting for others to take the initiative, but for us to take the initiative in faith and in Christ. I will admit that I have been slow in my life to uh, appropriate what God has um, given me. It took me a long time to accept the call of pastor. It's not something that uh, I raced to embrace. Uh, there, was a, there was a hesitation there, a, a delay. But um, now that I've embraced it, I want to move forward and I want to press into the fullness of what God has. And I do wonder what would have happened if I'd moved forward with more faith and more confidence earlier instead of holding back. I'm mindful of Raymond uh, last week. He wasn't slow to move forward, to appropriate what God had given him, moving out on the street to hand out tracts and to um, share the gospel. He was definitely the leader of the group and he, was, he had that boldness of Caleb about him as he pressed forward. And we need to be like that to have that get up and go, to have that proactivity, to not be slow to appropriate what God has given to us. So three men from each of the seven tribes are chosen and the 21 men in total are dispatched to go around the land to survey the land, to look for natural boundaries, to take note of the resources and the distribution of the land and then draw up seven plots from which the rest of the territories, uh, which can formulate the rest of the territories, which will be distributed for those seven remaining tribes. And I, I'm not 100% sure, but what I'm led to believe is that they would have had one pile with um, the list of territories in and another pile with a list of the tribes in. And Joshua and Eliezer, guided by the Lord, would cast a lot and pick one from each Part, uh, pile and that would be the tribe and the land that they were given and so we come on to the allotment for the tribe of Benjamin uh, so reading from uh, verse 11 now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families and the territory of their lot came out before the children of Judah and the children of Joseph their border on the north side began at the Jordan and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north and went up through the mountains westward and ended at the wilderness of beth Aven. The border went over from there towards Luz to the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward. 
and the border descended to Ataroth-Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of Lower Beth-Horon. Then the border extended from there around the west side to the south, from the hill that lies before Beth-Horon southward, and it ended up at Kirjath Baal, which is Kirjath Jirim, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west side. The south side began at the end of Kirjath Jirim, and the border extended on the west and went out to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah. Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of Rephaim. On the north descended to the valley of Hinnom, to the side of the Jebusite city on the south, and descended to Edinburgh. The Jebusite city is, is Jerusalem, by the way. Um, and it went around from the north, went out to Enshemesh, and extended towards uh, Gililoth, which is before the ascent of Adumim, and descended to the stones of Bahan, the son of Reuben. Then it passed along towards the north side of Arabah and went down to Arabah. And the border passed along to the north side of Beth Hogla. And then the border ended at the north bay of the Salt Sea at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern boundary. The Jordan was its border on the east side. And this was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to its boundaries all around, according to their families. So there we're given the actual boundaries of the territory that was given to Benjamin. Now we are given a list of the cities that were awarded to Benjamin within that territory. Now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho, Beth Hogla, Emek Keziz, Beth Arabah, Zemaraim, Bethel, Avim, Parah, Ophra, Chifa, Harmoni, Hophni and Geba, 12 cities with their villages. Gibeon, Ramah, Beeroth, Mizpah, Shephira, Moza, Rechem, Epiel, Terlah, Zila, Eleph, Jebus, which is Jerusalem, Gibeath and Kirjath, 14 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, according to their families. Benjamin, uh, of course, was the full brother of Joseph. They shared the same mother and the same uh, father. Uh, their mother was Rachel, and he was uh, assigned territory next to Joseph. Benjamin was assigned territory next to his brother. And uh, his territory was in the region of the first fruits of the land taken by Israel. It included Gilgal, Jericho and Ai. And of course, it included Jerusalem, which had been previously part and parcel of Judah's territory. But we see that the territory that was given to Benjamin was drawn f somewhat from the area of Judah. And it says there, uh, when, sorry, when Moses blessed the children of Israel, he issued a blessing upon the tribe of Benjamin. And it says in Deuteronomy 33, verse 12, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. This is the blessing that Moses pronounced upon Benjamin. The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. And what a wonderful blessing that is. And of course, um, Benjamin is where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem would eventually become the capital where the, um, the tabernacle and then the temple will be situated. So Benjamin is considered beloved of the Lord, and the Lord shall dwell in safety, and he shall dwell in safety by the Lord. And this is clearly what happens later on. Um, Benjamin, will, uh, Benjamin is where the presence of the Lord will be. How wonderful to be called beloved of the Lord.
How wonderful to dwell in safety by him. That should be our goal, our desire to dwell in safety with the Lord. Well, I did want to go on and do chapter 19, but I've exhausted your patience long enough. Um, Chapter 19 is a long list of territories given to the remaining six tribes. So next time, come with a cup of coffee to keep yourself awake. Uh, maybe a stick to poke your partner so they don't fall asleep uh, and we'll press on and see where God leads us. But for now, we'll leave that. Thank you very much. Amen.